the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back. As promised, it is a delight to have in studio Lewis Holman and Hugh Holman. Lewis Holman is the managing director of Inside Analytics. Hugh Holman is the former mayor of Tempe, an attorney in town and involved in many uh, activities in town. Speaking of civic activities. Not as many as Karen uh, Karen Taylor. Taylor. Yeah, yeah no, we love Karen. Yeah. But you um, – you guys, speaking of civic activities, you gave a great speech. I, I got a lot of emails on how popular your speech and talk was uh, over the weekend. You want to say something about it real quick? Oh, Lewis. just uh, we gave a talk uh, to the Sun City West Republican Club. Yeah. There's about 200 people there, yeah. and they were absolutely lovely. It was just a delight to talk to them about sort of the challenges facing the country today, where we have been and where we're going. And we'd do it again, wouldn't we? Oh, I'd I love to. I spoke to that group. It's yep. a great group. Yeah, no, they were. The, they said you were the best speaker they'd ever had. Until you. Until us. Yeah. <laughs> but it's because well, it took two of us to well, beat you. That's, that's the well, when they said we I was the best speaker they ever had, I told them they needed to widen their net a little bit. Yeah. But if they widened it and got you guys, I'm very happy. They got us only because of you. So thank I you for that I understand the Federalist Papers were discussed. That is the Federalist 10 and 51. I quoted uh, liberally from Federalist 10. The goal was to explain, as uh, your listeners understand, faction is a problem in our society. It's a human condition problem. Faction, as Madison understood it and described it in Federalist 10, is when any little interest group gets together and decides something is really what they want to have done, and they then form a faction. And, gee, Black Lives Matter is a faction. Yeah, sure. uh, the folks who uh, went to the Capitol on uh, January 6th are a faction. And, though, and the issue that Madison was dealing with is that we want to make sure that when people get all riled up, they don't destroy the structure of our government, that that roiling is expected. Human condition is that human history shows us that. And so he was trying to create a structure that would survive when we get crazy. And he did. And what I was trying to explain is that, in my view, we've already taken one of those pieces out of the structure that then makes it less stable, and that was we now have direct election of senators. What a terrible thing to say, Hugh Hallman, that you don't want people to elect their senators. Madison designed a system where we had the People's House, that was the House of Representatives, elected every two years, where all of the passions and factious kind of crazy stuff would happen. So yelling and screaming and mad and angry this year about X. Black Lives Matter last summer, etc. And uh, that's where that would take place. But the Senate was to be a calmer place, and you would elect those people only every six years, and that a third would be elected e each two years, and they would be indirectly elected. They would be selected by their state legislatures, which would then reflect the state culture. Instead of having senators on Twitter and, and Facebook and all this good stuff, they would have to listen to the elected officials from their state and understand what the policies of the state are. And we took that out. We then went to a direct election of senators. So those people are just like our members of the House of Representatives and roil around in the passion of the day and destabilize our system. The second one he put in place was the indirect election of the president of the United States and a second piece of that that drives Democrats crazy right now. And that is that the number of electors each state gets is the multiple or the, the, the addition of the number of members of the House and the number of members of the Senate to reflect 
that smaller states have a slightly larger impact on that because they're trying to protect the interests of the state character in the election of the president. That's the point. So that, yes, there's a little more weight to small states. That was the compromise. It's also an indirect election. So you don't have presidents looking at their Twitter and Facebook. They're supposed to be responsive to the electors of their state, reflecting that state character. And those two pieces are crucially important to keeping our system of, uh, of our government stable and maximizing liberty. And it is by slow but sure dint that we undermine that structure to our great peril. Because if we become a society in which the passions can be vented so easily through government policy, we may very easily destroy the very system on which our liberty depends. That was the speech. That, it's a good speech, and and I would love. I, I hope Lewis that- launched for uh, ten minutes on why those kinds of issues and the roiling goes on. Lou, why don't you describe? Yeah. Oh, it was it, just very briefly the uh, the the sort of nuts and bolts of it was that we have a uh, an enormously complicated series of global issues facing us, and yet we are led by a political and media class that views us as beasts of burden, unable and un suited to make our own decisions, unable to discern risk, and uh, uh, just creatures to be nudged into whatever compliance that our overlords think suits us. And as an example of this, you know, we can look no further than the coronavirus numbers of the week, where breakthrough cases are sort of the, the buzzword of the day, and all of the data around them is being expertly managed and concealed from us so as to obfuscate the true extent of of how many breakthrough cases are happening. It took me about 45 minutes of Googling earlier today as I was trying to get data ready for the show here to find any primary sources at all that would give me how many breakthrough cases, the number of cases, not the consequences of the cases, not how many deaths had happened from breakthrough cases, and not breakthrough cases as a, as a number of 100,000 people, but the actual incidence of breakthrough mm-hmm, cases. Mm-hmm. It's not being CDC published. CDC stopped counting. They did. Right. Uh, the only data I was able to find for any state or any county anywhere was from Oregon mm-hmm. that had a weekly breakout of the number of breakthrough cases. Right. And it turned out from that data that about 20% of, the, of all cases that, the, that they were having were breakthrough cases. Now, Oregon has about 60% of its population vaccinated. So if you do that math, in contrast to what the New York Times says, where you only have about a, a 1 in 5,000 chance of being uh, getting a, a breakthrough case if you're vaccinated, we'll that's their headline. We'll explain that crazy number Talk in about a that in a bit. But uh, uh, the number I come to is actually you're only about six times less likely to be infected uh, if you're six times more likely if currently you're six times more likely uh, to end up being a case if you're not vaccinated than if you're vaccinated and what the new york times and so let's set it this way we often criticize people who say that and you as well seth we've criticized you for saying the likelihood of dying from covid is a small number and you take the total number of deaths over the total population of the united states Well, that leaves out the fact that a lot of people have never been exposed to COVID-19. They've never been exposed to SARS-CoV-2, so they couldn't ever have developed a case. So the real issue should be the people who get exposed to SARS-CoV-2, how many of them get COVID-19 and then how many of them die? Well, we've talked on this show about asymptomatic cases, that there's a whole lot of people who are carrying the virus who had no symptoms at all. The case count could be, I mean, definitively is much higher than what the Five times the number that we get reported. And so the mortality rate of those people who are 
were exposed to SARS-CoV-2 is much smaller than right. reported because right. a whole bunch of people who are exposed and have the, the virus don't die or don't even get the disease. Well, the, the left has criticized anybody who would have this conversation at all because the death mortality rate is 2% because that's the number of dead people over the number of cases we know. And now they are using exactly the way that they've criticized us as the means to crow about how important getting vaccinated is. They're taking the total number of deaths of people who have been vaccinated over the entire population of people who have been vaccinated. That ex- that includes all kinds of people who have not yet been exposed again. Uh, are asymptomatic, etc. No, they they'll, are they'll, now criticize. They are using exactly the method that they criticized from us that we were trying to say this pandemic is nonsense because you're overstating the mortality rate. They're using exactly that same model of overstatement to say how wonderful the vaccine is. That's exactly right. So what the the big issue is again that with this with this asymptomatic case problem, they are they are breaking out all of these the asymptomatic cases. At the level of, of, of breakthrough cases. So they're saying, you know, well, we'll 20% of these cases were, were people who were asymptomatic and died from other causes. And so really, these aren't breakthrough deaths. You know, the vaccine, these aren't COVID fatalities here when this is an entirely new song and dance because they've never once, never once have they looked at any of our COVID numbers. And we've talked about a lot of the reasons why the COVID death figures in the United States might be relatively high. For instance, we use a overstated overstated. We use a we use a 60 day standard instead of a 28 day standard. That's not talked about. Now, now, if they if the New York Times and the CDC were intelligent, they might start talking about the fact that we're using a 60 day standard and lower that as they're counting their breakthrough case fatalities. If you see those standards start to change, you will know why it is to preserve preserve the fragile and shattering narrative. Yeah. So their narrative is that you got to get vaccinated. You got to get vaccinated. And I want to come back to the second point on this, uh, which is. Uh, getting a booster shot. You got to get vaccinated. You got to get vaccinated. And now with breakthrough cases, they are reporting at the CDC site, asymptomatic, not COVID related deaths of people who were vaccinated who died testing positive for SARS-CoV-2. They want to exclude all people who are asymptomatic when it's a breakthrough case, but they won't do that when it's somebody who is not vaccinated. That's the kind of hypocrisy we're now facing, which is your point about cynicism, and we're going to lose the rule of law because we're, we're going to become so cynical about our government. Let's pick up on that when we come back. Uh, Federalist Papers has a nice connection to this because Madison wrote that the proposed Constitution solves the eternal problem between power and freedom, power and individual liberty. And I think we can see... The distinction, uh, I, I, at least I think we can see our departure from the constitutional framework that he gave us to the degree that we see individual liberties defer to power. I'm Bingo. Seth. They're the Hallmans. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. A delight to have Hugh and Lewis Holman in studio with us. Lou, uh, Lou Hol- Lewis Holman is the managing director of Inside Analytics. Hugh Holman, former mayor of Tempe, attorney, among other many things. Right before the break, I was just pointing out your connection between the Federalist Papers, the constitutional framework, and where we are as a society today, especially in respect to COVID. And I had pointed out the point that Madison was making, to, I think, in a letter to Jefferson and proposing uh, what he would later do through the Federalist Papers that our Constitution's magic was solving the eternal problem between power and individual liberty. 
That was the problem our Constitution was meant to solve. And I think as you erode one, you erode the other. If you increase one, you erode the other. And the Constitution, given Madison's predilections as well as Jefferson's, was, of course, to defer to individual liberty, not power. Notwithstanding that they were Democrats. <laughs> were they? Yeah. You, really? We should have that discussion sometime. Yeah. So the Democratic Party obviously shifted and the name shifted. But the reality is you had two people who understood that they were trying to create a system that would sustain the maximum liberty possible in individuals and human beings and allow the system to sustain itself. And the structure, the brilliance of the structure was things that we all learned in grade school. So you've got a tripartite system where you've got an executive and a legislative and judicial branches fighting among one another to keep that power balanced. You had states versus the federal government. And that power struggle was to keep the government's sustained in a way that they would not destroy the structure. And within the structure for the federal government that they'd crafted were these additional things to make sure that the passions of the people, which were the gravest problem he wanted to solve, that's what he's talking about in Federalist 10, that the gravest concern and the failure of every government prior to the one they'd created, including the Articles of Confederation, was that the passions of the people could at any moment, whether it's a minority or a majority, could overwhelm the structure of the system. One of the things that I, I find really compelling and, and just all, always endearing about the, the system that, that Madison designed is that it has such a sort of a, an intentionally inefficient nature to it, which is, is kind of a weird idea. You know, whenever I, I try to design a system or, or think about engineering, we're always caught up in trying to to make things as fast and as uh, and, and as easy as possible to get things done. But I think one of the very real roots of the successes of the of American government is that because every branch of government has its own institutionalized interests and its own sort of drift of priorities, that it puts them all against one another and forces them to fight against one another for power in order to advance the ball and get things done. Federalist 51. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, you know, for those that want to go on for advanced reading, I would also include Federalist 39, where he talks about our system being partly national and partly federal, which is something people sometimes think has to do with just states' rights versus the federal government. It's not exactly that, but it is important in thinking about the areas the federal government can encroach on when you go back and read Federalist 39. He said we're partly federal partly national. And I think the feds forget that an awful lot of the time. Well, certainly. And after uh, West Coast Hotel in 1936, I think, where the Commerce Clause is used to blow a hole in states' ability to govern themselves, uh, you saw that's a, a great example of how we've undermined the system. And that was the, the judiciary doing that out of fear that uh, President Roosevelt would pack the court. That's right. uh, those, those are the kinds of issues we face. But coming back to today, right. Here we have a federal government that is is starting to figure out how to mandate vaccines, insisting that they know from the science, the scientists are best, that everybody has to get vaccinated. And all we've been advocating for is that individuals have the right to choose. And by now, mm -hmm. ladies and gentlemen in our government, please understand there's not a person in the United States who doesn't know the vaccine exists and where they can go get it probably for free. So it's not a matter of not having it available. And yet here we have people in New York City complaining that the, the vaccine mandate uh, put down by the, the New York uh, state government and New York City government is somehow weaponizing the vaccine to create a discriminatory environment. And this is racist. 
Why are they saying that? It's because African-Americans in this country are vaccinated at a much lower rate than the balance of the population. And so if you mandate that you have to have a vaccine card to go into a restaurant and you're not vaccinated and so are not let in, it has to do with the fact that you're not vaccinated, according to the New York City demand, not that you're African-American. So on this note, uh, I'd like to talk about why that is before anyone gets the deluded and and fictitious idea that it has anything to do with systemic racism, that African-Americans are vaccinated at a lower rate than than other groups. And the answer in your view? It is an age issue. African-Americans as a demographic group are, on average, 15 years younger than whites. They get vaccinated at the rage that 35-year-olds get vaccinated, which is approximately... 20 percentage points less than the rate at, at which 55-year-olds get vaccinated. And so Lewis brings, Lewis brings this kind of point up regularly that if you actually hold constant the kinds of other issues in demography that dictate certain behaviors, you solve the problem. It's not racism. So the uh, only the only the shooting issues that we see, uh, incarceration rates, those sorts of things, those are all issues that are related to age, not color. If you are ever reading an article or listening to a presenter and they are trying to boil down whatever injustice or or mechanistic structure is happening to one variable, they are either stupid or lying to you. The world is just more complicated than that. We have to look at things in a multifaceted way. So here we are with the federal government mandating, uh, Seth, as you mentioned, uh, mandating vaccines. So now if you're a company of 100 or more employees, you now must have your employees vaccinated, be damned. And yet... This is the same federal government who does not now allow the choice to get a booster shot. You may or may not want a booster shot. You may or may not want to get vaccinated. Our entire saw here is you now should be able to choose. And then the question becomes, who are we protecting? Who are we protecting by these mandates? It's certainly not the children, because children wearing masks in schools or being forced to get vaccinated are not being protected from death. Because as we were talked last week, it's now maybe a little higher. Uh, I think the total U.S. the the total of uh, people under age 18 who have succumbed to COVID-19, being exposed to SARS-CoV-2, is now 413. That's since nope. Jan- since January 1st, 2020, to today, uh, 21 months, and we've had 413 people under age. 18 die of COVID-19. Your chance of dying of pneumonia unrelated to COVID-19 is twice as bad. So if we're not protecting the children, then it seems that we must be protecting the petty tyrants and authoritarians who are raking in the money hand over fist from the centralization and lockdowns. This is Amazon. This is Google. This is Apple. This is the death of the American mom and pop Main Street economy. And the absolute fury of of the large multinationals. So here we are talking about COVID-19 and the government overreach with respect to uh, forcing vaccinations, forcing masks. And we're asking, please let people make choices for their uh, themselves, including if you'd like to get a booster shot because you believe you're in a demographic that uh, would be uh, find value in that. Certainly Israel's demonstrated that the booster shots are valuable and important. That's the kind of thing we want to continue talking about. After the break, we also want to talk about Afghanistan. And we're here to thank our friend Seth Liebson for now letting us drive the show by ourselves. We've locked him up, kicked him out of the room. Uh, he's uh, been uh, gotten some of that United Airlines duct tape. 
Uh, we are Hugh Hallman and Lewis Hallman on KKNT 960, The Patriot. Give us a call if you'd like at 602-508-0960. We'll be back in just a few minutes. I don't even want to come back to the show when you got that kind of bumper music bringing you back in. That is great stuff. Uh, I am Hugh Hallman, not the dulcet tones of Seth Liebson from your microphone or your uh, speaker in your car or wherever you might be listening. Uh, I, we are filling in. I am Hugh. That is Lewis across the way. Say hello, Lewis. Hello, Lewis. There we go. You, you have to enjoy uh, uh, George Burns and Gracie Allen to listen to this show. We want to pivot now a little bit, uh, but uh, first we're going to take Will from Goodyear about the virus stats. Will, what do you think? Yes, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I just like to talk about that COVID nineteen. Um, I'm 67 years old and I'm I'm retired military and you know I've been retired for a while and I haven't gotten any of that shot yet and I have never I haven't gotten sick yet either. But my question is. Um, you know, I've heard people that have gotten the shot have gotten COVID nineteen and died. Some of them. That is actually true. Yep. There are people who had what are called breakthrough cases. Uh, the uh, the numbers are still somewhat low. It's a few thousand people who have been vaccinated, but that is the mm-hmm. kind of data that the federal government is manipulating to pretend that uh, everything is all good and you should really get vaccinated. It's an independent issue. Yeah. Is it true that if you're vaccinated, your likelihood of getting SARS-CoV-2 infection and coming down with COVID-19 is lower? Yes. Is it true that if you do get a case of uh, COVID-19, it's probably less impactful to you? The answer is yes. Mm -hmm. Does that tell you you should go get a vaccine? No, you have to make the decision yourself, in our view, and that mandating it for anybody is wrong. We're all about trying to create liberty and space for people to make their decisions, just as I'm advocating that if you'd like to get a booster shot because you've been vaccinated and are worried Mm -hmm. that your vaccine has depleted in its uh, in its uh, efficacy, efficacy, uh, and you want to get mm-hmm. that, you should have that opportunity. We've talked uh, for years yeah. about the right to try. The state of Arizona passed the right to try in honor of Laura Knaprak, who passed away from cancer, uh, and she advocated mm-hmm. for people's ability to try uh, medicines and drugs that maybe weren't uh, already approved. If you're in a fatal right. case of uh, some disease and want to try something as a last-ditch effort, you should be allowed to do that. That's what we're advocating well- for. Yeah, well, what happened with what happened with me was right before the COVID nineteen hit, I went. You know, I saw my doctor for my checkup, and I hadn't had a pneumonia shot. You know, she caught me up on my shot. She said, "You know, you need an." This was right before this stuff happened, and she told me, uh, you, "You know, you need an pneumonia shot." So I took that, and that year, I didn't get sick at all. Usually, I get sick once, you know, in the winter time here. But uh, I didn't get sick at all that year. Matter of fact, I haven't been sick since, you know. But uh, that's as far as I've taken it, you know, with the shot. Well, but, uh, fair, you know, uh, uh, fair enough. And I, I think that all everyone out there really ought to be in a, in a position where they can ask questions from people who will give them reasonable information and to make their own informed decision after having done so. But they shouldn't be browbeated, manipulated, and forced into compliance. That's where we stand or sit at the moment. So, Will, thank you very much for the call. Uh, Rob, we're going to take you real quick because uh, you're concerned about our governor promoting vaccine over therapeutics. What's your issue? Rob, you still there? 
Oh, I'm sorry. Can you hear me? We can yeah, now. Oh, okay, good. I'm sorry. Um, I'm just concerned that uh, for the last, I don't know, nine months or so, the government has been forcing the vaccine down everybody's throat and not really providing any options. Like instead of, you know, mandating, which I think is, again, un- unconstitutional, it's just coming from the uh, executive branch, instead of mandating everybody get vaccines, why don't they provide options and say, hey, if you don't want to get vaccinated, go ahead and, you know, take the vitamins and the zinc and the hydroxychloroquine and the ivermectin. But they don't do that and they don't talk about it. Instead, it's all vaccines 24-7 all the time. Well, I, I just was interested in your thoughts about that. Thank you, Rob, because we're going to end up with a break here. I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and. Uh, turn to Lewis because he's the one who talks about the calculus mind uh, or algebra minds in a calculus world. Luke? So the, there, there are probably a couple of reasons for this. Uh, one reason that they don't want us to have options is because it allows us to explore and decide things for ourselves and make decisions without government oversight and input, which is anathema to any totalitarian. Um, the other reason is that I, I would say that it is probably an easier uh, and and um, more straightforward pipeline for them to deploy vaccine and mass than have to deal with a multitude of different products and programs. So it's more it's logistically easier and easier from an authoritarian impulse. The the one track mind is something that is systemic to government. We'll talk about that when we come back from the break. Rob, thank you for the call. Thanks to Seth for letting us fill in on KKNT 960 The Patriot. We'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I'm Hugh Hallman, joined by the smarter, better-looking, more talented Lewis Hallman. It's always nice to have your father introduce you because they they, they give you all they blow all of the smoke up your things. No, I can't no, say. no, that's not true. I've known him since he was born, so I could <laughs> I could say lots of other things, but I meant uh, those things. We were talking about COVID before the break and the fact that we now have a federal government and the CDC and the National Institutes of Health arguing about whether or not we should all be allowed to get a booster shot, if we should so think. And Lewis and I come from the side of the universe that says people get should get to make decisions for themselves, including that if they now uh, somebody now believes that the vaccine they got nine months ago might be wearing out and they want a booster shot, they ought to have that chance to get it. But what's amazing to me is the drubbing that the people in this current administration were giving Donald Trump and his administration for not moving quickly enough on getting a vaccine, getting it rolled out, all the stuff. And now we've been sitting here for almost three months with the federal government not able to analyze the data about whether or not a vaccine that we've already been given could be also given as a booster shot when the state of Israel did all the hard work and by July 27th made the decision that a booster shot was actually quite valuable and useful. And so not only is Israel the most vaccinated country with some liberty in choosing whether you get vaccinated, but they're also now the most booster shotted country and they are not having the breakthrough cases we're having. So here we have a federal government that's hypocritical at best, uh, now run by folks who uh, like to play it on both sides. But here is a quote that I think summarizes what Lewis and I think ought to be the watchwords for the day. And I quote, 
The future will belong to those who embrace human dignity, not trample it. The future will belong to those who unleash the potential of their people, not those who stifle it. The future will belong to those who give their people the ability to breathe free, not those who seek to suffocate with an iron hand, period, unquote. An amazing speech. That sounds like someone who would advocate for, you know, giving the people their civil liberties, letting people make their own decisions, minimal involvement of the federal government. But and yet, who gave that statement just today, Lewis? Well, that was Joe Biden at the United Nations uh, as he was crowing and bending backwards, apologizing for his failures in Afghanistan to all of our erstwhile allies. That's right. So Joe Biden is trying to explain the reason he withdrew from Afghanistan uh, was because he does not want to be part of a totalitarian class and gave a rousing speech about liberty and freedom at the same time that it was just last week that he's mandating uh, vaccines and forcing it uh, by making sure that companies larger than 100 and larger have to do it lest they get taxed out of existence. That's our commander-in-chief. So Joe Biden, the champion of human rights and dignity for all peoples everywhere, has pulled out of Afghanistan, causing the Taliban to suspend secondary education for girls and preclude women from working. And also, while doing this, in trying to institute vaccine passports on the American people, curtailing whether or not they can go outside and uh, uh, advocating for mask mandates, all while urging us to breathe free. That's right. OK, there's a, I just want to make sure that this is the, the same person. I, I wonder, do you think... Do you think whoever wrote this speech has been conscious in the last decade? Do you think whoever wrote the speech for the president is conscious of who's actually been in power? Are they paying attention to anything else this administration is doing? So what we now have is a federal government that has mucked up things in Afghanistan. And Lewis and I are in a heated debate over whether we should have been there in the first place. Actually, he and I tend to agree that how we executed and whether we should have executed the way we did at all uh, is in debate. But I take the position on Afghanistan that having gotten there, having spent 20 years there, we now had what I call flypaper down, and that was keeping terrorists in Afghanistan fighting for territory in Afghanistan, blowing things up in Afghanistan. And the added value was that young women could go to school and uh, women of age could work if they chose to. That wasn't a reason to go into Afghanistan, but it certainly advocates that having gotten there, and I disagreed with President Trump when he talked about having to withdraw, that we should stay there at the price of having 2,500 troops on the ground, keeping the fight there, uh, while we failed in much of the mission, which was to create a stabilized government. But we've talked about the fact that a stabilized government in a society that doesn't have the culture to have a democratically elected, stabilized government doesn't work. So I, I would also say, though, that whether whether you know whatever your position on on whether or not we should have been there, the principal beneficiary of the fight against Islamic terrorism was not, in fact, the United States with its ocean moats, but continental Europe, the very same people who are whipsawing Americans, uh, uh, who who are, are are incredulous that we should have been there to begin with, and who have been the main beneficiaries 
of American security largesse for the last three decades. So, for example, Boris Johnson, the uh, the prime minister of Great Britain, uh, is now at the U.N. complaining about the fact that uh, the U.S. left it in a mess and we shouldn't have left at all and we should have made sure that it was stabilized. And yet let's take a look at how many British troops were on the ground recently in Afghanistan. Not enough to count. And so we have our European allies angry as wet hens over the fact that we left Afghanistan at all, uh, much less left it in a mess. That's why President uh, uh, Biden was having to give the speech he gave to defend his uh, exit and yet we've now got our European allies angry we left uh, and yet unwilling to pay their share to have us there in the first place. That's the kind of stuff that we're dealing with in the international community these days, which raises the whole question that wasn't Donald Trump right for pointing to Western Europe and saying you're not paying your fair share. We still have, is it 35,000 troops or 50,000 troops in Germany? I get it mixed up. I believe it's... 50 in Germany, 35, 35 in, in Japan. Japan, or vice versa. So it's one of the forget. two, yeah. I can't yeah. Remember so now. we have, after, since World War II, we've stayed stationed in those two places that we stabilized. Germany is the wealthiest country in all of Western Europe. It also spends the least amount of its GDP on its military of any country in Europe. It's a 0.86%, 0.86% of its GDP on defense. Because we have troops there defending them against the Soviet Union. Now, of course, it's only Russia, but it's hard to tell between uh, Putin's Russia and uh, Yeltsin's uh, uh, free Russia versus uh, uh, Gorbachev's Soviet Union. It's hard to keep track of the game, but the reality is that that's why we're still in Germany is to make sure that Russia doesn't do to the rest of Western Europe what it did to Ukraine yes. and roll tanks into Crimea. Yeah, the, the Northern European plain is an awfully inviting stomping ground for Russian tanks if, uh, if left unguarded. Well, it's, it is the continuing battle about ports. It's the continuing battle about resources. But it's also that the Russian ethnicity itself is dying demographically. So talk about that, yeah. Lou, about the trouble that Russia is going to find itself so in. It, between uh, 2015 and 2025, Russia's available military population will have halved. To counter this, they need to advance along the northern Europe plain and the Caucasus. I'm sorry, uh, uh, the Carpathian Mountains to try and shorten their borders. So what we've got is a Russia that is aging out, that will not be able easily to mount a military, and is desperate to defend itself before it's too late. So here we are with a very changing world, and we have a president who doesn't get most of that. I'm Hugh Hallman. He's Lewis Hallman. We're grateful to our friend Seth Liebson for letting us fill in on this beautiful afternoon. We're at KKNT 960, The Patriot. We know you're going to continue listening. We'll be back in just a moment after the break. Again, I hate to cut off such a wonderful song and a great voice. I'm Hugh Hallman, joined by Lewis Hallman here on the Seth Liebson Show on this beautiful afternoon. Uh, we want to close the show uh, a little bit about where the U.S. is in the world today. Lou? The media and political class view you as livestock to be managed, incapable of thinking for itself, thinking about risk or weighing trade-offs. We are beasts of burden to be nudged into submission. The U.K. and U.S. government uh, uh, use this nudge theory to change the way that we see choices so that it, if before you had to opt in to be an organ donor, organ donation is now the default. The only form of organization allowed is divisive. Identity politics and the culture war are used to keep us fighting amongst ourselves. 
Minorities are told that their voices only have merit as a representative of their race. Talk of succession or an American divorce of red states and blue states has become popular. To divide ourselves is to doom our grandchildren to war amongst themselves, to give up the unique blessings of our society, and to cast ourselves into the fire of history and snuff out this shining city on a hill. We need a new, renewed civic nationalism that focuses on the interests of Americans, heedless of their race or ethnicity. We need an America that is confident and determined, willing to look to the challenges of the future. We need an America that encourages family formation and that patches, passes the torch of its values from one generation to the next. Our challenges are many, but as Pope John Paul II said, be not afraid. We have the mightiest military the world has ever known. We know what the challenges are that lie ahead. The question is never, is America strong enough? But instead, do Americans have the will to succeed? As long as people are willing to, to come together, think about these issues, and solve our problems as, as one people, I will remain unafraid. We are unafraid because people like you are listening to shows like The Seth Liebson Show, preparing yourselves to do battle on a daily basis. We have to remember that we've got to be the civil ones because the only way we're going to convince people uh, that our arguments are right is by teaching. And you don't get to teach by screaming and yelling at people. You get to teach by speaking calmly and asking questions and drawing people toward you. We had the wonderful opportunity to speak out at Sun City Grand this weekend and met with 200 people of like mind, meaning that they wanted to learn. They wanted to have a, a fierce discussion and debate. They wanted to understand our perspective and build from that uh, a new future. These are people who have worked in the trenches, who've gone out and collected signatures, who have diligently put themselves to ensuring that their children and grandchildren get to benefit from this shining city on a hill. This is a legacy that will not be repeated. Why do I say that? Look back in history. James Madison, in writing the Federalist Papers along with uh, others, John Jay wrote too, but uh, – worked diligently to educate the population in 1786 and 1787 to support this Constitution. It is now our responsibility to make sure that that Constitution is carried forward because our children and grandchildren and their progeny will succeed and enjoy life and liberty or not based on our success or failure. Go out and succeed. God bless. Class dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.